0: Welcome to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Be Set Free features the teaching ministry of Pastor Nick Cady. Pastor Nick's desire is to bring the gospel into our lives so we can experience the joy and freedom that can only be found through Jesus. Today's message comes from our series, Grace and Truth, a study of the book 1 Corinthians. Here's Pastor Nick.
1: and he was able to rent out a large meeting hall. And in that meeting hall, he would hold gatherings where he would teach the Bible, and that would have been much more similar to what we do on Sunday mornings. And and by the way, as soon as Christians could have gatherings like this, they did. But I just want you to think about this. If everybody were to Come up here on stage on a Sunday morning. Like all of you here were to come and, you know, you all prepared with a song or something to share. And you, we all took turns coming up here one at a time, right? Everybody gets a couple minutes on stage to talk and to share. Guys, we would be here all day and like through the night, and there are some of you, like, we couldn't drag you on stage, right? You have so much a fear of standing in front of people and talking in groups. We couldn't drag you up here to save our lives. But what's maybe worse is that there are some others of you, once we got you up here, we'd literally have to drag you off because you wouldn't stop, right? Now, listen, I have been in church services like this, in, especially like in Europe, for example where, you know, it's kind of this collaborative thing. Everybody brings something. You never know who's going to show up with what. And I'll just say, they go on for a really long time. And the quality is usually pretty hit and miss, right? Like, like what you, you know, it's not always very edifying just because people are doing things, right? Like, Jim over here, he wants to play Amazing Grace on his harmonica. And then we've got this other guy, and he wants to share a, a word from the Bible, like his opinion on this Bible verse. But then it turns out to be super weird and also heretical, and you have to, like, come up and apologize and, like, correct everything. I'm just saying, like, I've been in these gatherings— And they're not always edifying. And I like what Charles Spurgeon said. He tells a story about a friend of his who went to a Bible study like this, and his friend said, Oh, it was great. Nobody knew anything, and we all taught each other, right? (laughs) Very nice. You know, there's a reason why it says in Ephesians chapter 4 that God has given some to be teachers in the church, right? There's a reason why Paul instructs Timothy, a young pastor, to train himself in rightly dividing the word and accurately and and correctly dividing the word, right? That's why Paul, here in this chapter, he says, there needs to be order in your church services in order for people to grow. If there's chaos— then people aren't going to actually benefit from it. And yet, we also do need to see and receive what it says here in verse 26 of chapter 14, which is this important principle that there need to be opportunities for every member of the church to contribute in some way to the building up of the body of Christ. And that's why, friends, you understand, what we do here on Sunday morning, what we're doing right now, this is good but it's not the only thing we do as a church. This isn't the only way that we make disciples and build up the body of Christ. This is one thing we do. It's not the only thing we do. This is why we encourage you, and I I hope you've felt it and heard it because you're going to hear it some more. We beat this drum over and over and over. Join a group and join a team. Join a group and join a team. That's what we want you to do so that you can grow as a Christian and so that you can contribute to the growth of others in the body. So join a community group. You can do it today. Join a men's and women's fellowship. They're starting up right now. In those small group settings, everybody has the opportunity to discuss, to share, to teach, to encourage, to use their gifts to build up others. Those are settings where you can bring a song. You can bring something to share, right? Our Bible Learning Center classes, they're interactive. Join one of those. Uh, Join one of our service teams, There are many areas where you can serve and use your gifts to build up others and further the work of the ministry. And I would encourage you, when you come to church, I encourage you to come with this mindset that says, I'm going there today on a mission. And my mission is not only to be blessed, my mission is to be a blessing. And I'm not gonna leave that building today until I've been a blessing to somebody else whether they like it or not right like i'm going to i'm going to be a blessing right if you if you come with that attitude you know what will happen You know, you'll you'll start showing up a few minutes early for church, right? Looking around, God, where's there an opportunity for me to serve and be a blessing today? You're going to stay after church for a few minutes as well, right? Because those first five minutes before service, the 15 minutes after, those times when you go to your community group, you're no longer just going to show up. You're going to go there with a purpose, with a mission, right? Those will become rich times of ministry. What if after church, as you're talking to somebody and, and you're, you're hearing from them about what's going on in their life rather than just saying, okay, bye, right? Like, what if instead you took a minute and you said, you know what, let's pray together about that thing. Let's pray together right now about that thing. What if you opened up your Bible and said, hey, let me encourage you. This is what God's word has to say, and I hope that it encourages your heart. Friends, if you do that, it will transform your relationships. It will change your life. And you know what? God will hear those prayers, Listen, it is a mistake to think, well, if I'm not up on the platform, I'm not doing ministry. That's just simply not true. Not only are you called to do ministry, every member is called to do ministry. You're called to do it like you can do it and you're called to do it. As the body of Christ, we're called to build each other up in love. That brings us to the second part of this sentence. Rather than being just another consumerist activity, the essence of true worship is surrender to God, So in, in 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 14, Paul has been discussing the value and the use of spiritual gifts. Now here in chapter 14, just to remind you what's been happening, Paul has been talking about the proper use of two spiritual gifts in particular. And those are the gifts of speaking in tongues and the gift of prophecy. So now, continuing in verse 27, Paul picks up this discussion. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Okay, in the previous studies we've done here in 1 Corinthians 14, we've talked about what these gifts are and what their purpose is. But here, Paul is giving instructions about how these gifts should be used in church gatherings practically. He says, look, if someone wants to speak in tongues and contribute to the meeting in that way, he says, someone can. We can have, you know, speaking in tongues in a church gathering, but only if there's someone there to interpret. If there's no one there to interpret, that person should pray that prayer silently to themselves, and to God. Because as we saw in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 2, the gift of speaking in tongues is a tool for prayer, right? It's not for speaking to God. It's not, it's for speaking to God. It's not for speaking messages to other people. And he says, we should put a cap on how many people can speak in tongues at a church service, and they should take turns, right? One at a time. Don't go on top of each other, right? Just take turns one at a time. And now, in the next few verses, starting verse twenty-nine, Paul then gives instructions about the proper use of the gift of prophecy. He says, Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For if you can all for you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and be encouraged, and the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches. Of the saints. So, Paul has already said in this chapter that in public worship gatherings, the gift of prophecy is preferable to the gift of speaking in tongues. And yet, here Paul says, still, even the gift of prophecy should not be allowed to dominate your church gatherings, right? The focus of your gatherings should not be the use of the, the spiritual gifts. It should be the study of the Word of God and worship, it says in verse 29, prophetic messages also should not just be unquestioningly accepted, right? So anybody who says, well, I have a word and this is from God, we shouldn't just say, okay, we take your word for it and we accept it unquestioningly. no, no. no. He says it needs to be weighed. It needs to be tested. We need to determine, is it really from God? How do you do that? The primary way you do that is by testing these messages against the Scriptures, against the Word of God. Does it align with what God has already revealed and spoken in the Bible? Paul says here in verse 33, God is a God of order, not a God of confusion. So in other words, God is not going to say one thing in the Bible and then turn around and say something completely different different or contradictory through a prophetic message. So if a prophetic message conflicts with what's written in the Bible, then we say, sorry, we have to reject the prophetic message and receive this, what it says here in the Bible, instead. Now, furthermore, verse 32 tells us the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. Now, that's an important principle, and it applies to not just this spiritual gift, but all of them. You see, what Paul's telling us is this— when someone uses a spiritual gift they are fully in control of their mind and their body. It isn't that they go into a trance where they lose control of themselves. It's not like the Holy Spirit takes control of you and you can't stop yourself from speaking out or from doing some, you know, uh, expressive action. No, the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets, which means you can choose not to share something. You can choose to share it later. You can choose to pause and wait for somebody else to finish speaking before you start. That's how spiritual gifts work, he says.
0: You've been listening to a message by Pastor Nick Cady of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We'll get back to the remainder of this message in a moment. We are open for in-person worship on Sunday mornings with services at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. Come grow with us on Sunday mornings online, or in person at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. Now, back to Pastor Nick with the remainder of today's message.
1: And this is important because the essence of worship is not self-indulgence, nor is it self-gratification. The essence of worship is surrender. What do I mean by that? Well, worship means surrendering your pride, and it means surrendering your plans, Surrendering your pride and surrendering your plans. Here's why I say that. Worship is about surrendering your pride, humbling yourself before God, recognizing His greatness and your shortcomings, and admitting your need for His strength, His love, His power, and His grace. Surrender to God, surrendering your pride. The second thing, though, worship has another aspect, and that is surrendering your plans. So Worship, right? This is a lifestyle we live of surrendering our plans to God, where we say, God, wherever you want me to go and whatever you want me to do, I'm yours, heart and soul. So send me, let me be a penny in your pocket that you can spend wherever it pleases you most. Now here in 1 Corinthians 14, we see that up until this point, the Corinthian Christians have had a consumeristic approach to worship. But now God is calling them to surrender themselves to his guidance and his instructions in regard to what they do and how they do it. And it's worth asking yourself, have you surrendered yourself to God? Have you surrendered your pride? Have you surrendered your plans? That's the heart of worship. And it brings us to the final section here of this sentence and this passage. Rather than being just another consumerist activity, the essence of true worship is surrender to God, which reorients our hearts to be like Jesus and build up others in love. Verse 34 The women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says if there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Well, that escalated quickly. Am I right? I was like, wow, we're talking about spiritual gifts, speaking in tongues and prophecy. And then Paul's like, and I don't want women speaking in church, right? How does that even fit into this discussion? Right? Because after this, Paul's going to talk some more about the gift of prophecy. So it's like, prophecy, prophecy, prophecy. Women can't speak in church. Prophecy, 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 right? Like, like how does this—why does he say this right here? Now, some people have taken these two verses in isolation, right? They've, they've yanked them out of their context in this chapter and just said, look at these two verses. And, you know, that's never a good idea to do, by the way. This is why we read the Bible and why we study it here at this church, verse by verse and chapter by chapter, because context is super important to understanding the meaning of a given passage. If you pull something out of its context, you can kind of make it say something that maybe it wasn't originally intended to say. So what people have done is some people take these two verses out of their context, they look at them in isolation, and they conclude, look, look. The Bible says that women are never allowed to speak in church under any circumstances. Now, other people have done just the opposite with this, right? What they've done is they've, they've tried to find a way around this, because they read this passage and say, oh, I don't like that. And so they say, well, because that doesn't sit right with me, therefore I'm going to say that these two verses must not actually be inspired by God. This is just Paul's opinion, and he got this one wrong. So, you know, feel free to just scratch those verses out in your Bible. You don't need them. They're not really from God. That's just Paul's opinion, not really the words of God. Except the problem with doing that, there are many, but I'll tell you what one of the problems with doing that is. If you look at the very next few verses, verse 36 and verse 37, you know what Paul says? He says, by the way, these things I'm saying, they aren't just my opinion. In other words, he anticipated people coming and saying, well, that's just your opinion, Paul. Paul says, no, no, this is not just my opinion. This is the very word of God to you. So listen, we cannot just dismiss this as that's just Paul's opinion. If we really are honest and we really believe that the Bible was inspired by God, by the Holy Spirit, and delivered faithfully to us by God. We can't just pick and choose the verses we don't like and say, well, they're not inspired. Listen, there is, though, an issue with this passage that needs to be taken into consideration. So first of all, keep in mind this. We need to consider the context in order to understand what Paul's saying. And the difficulty in reading these letters, the letters that Paul writes to these churches, particularly this letter to the Corinthians, is that we're only getting half of the conversation, right? We're we're not—it's like if you listen to somebody in a room talking on the phone to somebody else, and you only hear what one person's saying, you don't hear what the other person's saying on the other end of the phone. Now, you can usually put together what that other person must be talking about and what the conversation's going around— But there is some difficulty in that, right? You're having to determine, based on the context of what you hear, what the other person, right, what the other half of the story is. And so what we do as we read these letters is we do our best to put together what Paul was responding to. What are the exact situations Paul is speaking into? Now, the context is this. Paul is talking about the spiritual gift of prophecy, and he just explained that if a prophecy is given, it needs to be weighed and tested and considered by those who hear it in the congregation before they can accept it as being from God. Furthermore, here's the other issue. Earlier in this same letter, 1 Corinthians... In chapter 11, verses 5 and 13, Paul gave instructions about how women should conduct themselves when they do two things in church, pray and prophesy. Now, praying and prophesying are both things that require you to speak. So, in chapter 11 there, Paul is actually not discouraging women from praying and prophesying in church. He's encouraging them to do it as long as they're doing it in a way that honors God and honors their husbands for those of them who are married. In other words, this can't be a blanket prohibition against women ever speaking in any way in church because that would contradict what Paul already said in chapter 11. So, if that's the case, then what is this passage saying? Well, one more important factor to keep in mind is this. The words... Woman and wife. There's only there's only one word. It's the same word in the Greek language. That one word can be translated based on context: woman or wife. So we have to ask the question: Is Paul here speaking to women in general, or is he speaking to wives specifically? Now it would seem that he is speaking to wives, and here's why. He says in verse 36 that these women have husbands. If you have a husband, that makes you a wife. So Paul is talking to wives. Furthermore, Paul says this in verse 35. He talks about the law, right? The law. But here's the thing. If you look at the law of Moses in Exodus and Leviticus, those books of the Bible, you'll notice there are no rules there given to unmarried women to submit to all men in general. But there are commands about married women honoring their husbands. And this issue of married women honoring their husbands in church gatherings is an issue that Paul already addressed in 1 Corinthians 11, which tells us that this was an issue in that congregation that needed to be addressed. So, all these things considered, and I understand this is a long explanation, but it's important because this verse causes a lot of confusion. All these things considered, it seems that what Paul is addressing is a situation in which some wives in this church were in the habit of doing this. Like when their husbands would share a word of prophecy, during that time when the prophetic message was being weighed and considered and tested, these wives were in the habit of challenging their husbands publicly in the meeting in front of others, right? So the husband would share a word of prophecy and say, you know, here's a word that God gave me. And as it's being considered by those in the congregation, the wife would say, oh, come on. That wasn't really from God You made that up. I know you did. Or maybe she wouldn't do that. Maybe she would just say, uh, you know, she would start having like a private conversation with her husband about what he had just said. And it was just inappropriate for the setting. It was distracting. In some cases, though, dishonoring to the husbands. And Paul is saying, wives, if your husband shares a prophetic word in the church gathering and you have questions about it, or maybe you even have doubts about it, Don't act shamefully by calling him out in public like that. Show him honor and respect by taking that issue and talking about it at home between the two of you afterwards. Now, let me say this. In 1 Timothy chapters 2 and 3, the Bible does have more to say about the roles and offices of leadership in the church and who is to hold those offices. But the issue here in 1 Corinthians 14 seems to be about judging of prophecies and the role of wives in doing so when it comes to their husbands' prophecies. And and that would be consistent, by the way. This interpretation is consistent with what Paul has been saying about showing honor in the church and, and conducting ourselves in a way that is focused on building up others in love. So Paul concludes this discussion of spiritual gifts in verses 39 and 40 where he says, So my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. So here in 1 Corinthians 14, we see a vision for worship that is reorienting. On the one hand, it reorients us away from a consumeristic mentality about church and worship. It shows us that we are called to be members of a body and each of us has a role to play to the body, a way to contribute, to build up the body in love. It shows us that the essence of worship isn't just passively receiving, but actively surrendering ourselves and availing ourselves to God for his purposes to do his work. Another way, though, that this vision of worship is reorienting is this. As you do this, As you avail yourself to God, as you begin to focus and seek out ways that you can be a blessing and how you can serve others, it will reorient your heart more and more towards Jesus. As you move away from being a consumer and having that consumer mentality, and you begin to step out and serve and bless, you also become more and more aware of your shortcomings and your needs You become more and more aware of how much you need God's help, and you are so dependent on his guidance. And it also fills you with a greater appreciation of what God has done for you through Jesus. The message of the gospel, friends, is that Jesus laid his life down for you. Jesus, the ultimate servant, he came to live the life that you ought to have lived but failed to, a life of perfect obedience to God. And he came to die the death that you should have died in your place, the death of judgment for your sins. And he did those things not for his own sake, but he did them for you because he loves you. He rose from the grave, he ascended into heaven so that through him, you too can have life after death and eternity in heaven. And he did all of this for you. And the way to receive this gift is by faith, by trusting in and relying on, by clinging to Jesus and what he did for you in his life, in his death, and in his resurrection. And once you have this hope, once you have put your faith and trust in Jesus, then he calls you to follow him on this path of life-giving love and service, which leads people to him and builds them up in him. Friends, that is a life worth living. That is a life that has purpose and meaning and value. So let's do it. Rather than just being another consumerist activity, the essence of true worship is surrender to God, which reorients our hearts to be like Jesus and build up others in love. Would you please bow your heads and pray with me?